Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We've been, we've been in Luke roughly a year now. Not through chapter 10 yet. We've got a, a powerful text this morning. I'm going to be in, in Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. So kind of, kind of make your way there. I don't know if you are a fan of the Olympics. We have any fans of the Olympics here this morning? No, not really. You guys are going to have to participate with me here this morning. I've got a small crowd. I'm going to have to participate. I'll have to call you out. But of course, if you're a fan of the Olympics, you know that the Olympics are going on right now. And I know it's a little harder to watch the Olympics this year because they're in Tokyo. And so it's a little confusing to know if it's live or if it's, or if it's a replay of something that already happened and you already got a notification on your phone that so-and-so won the, won the gold, and then, or Facebook, so-and-so already won the gold or whatever, and so then all of a sudden it shows up in prime time, and you're like, this happened 12 hours ago, I already know what happens, takes the, takes the suspense away. So, you know, maybe, that, maybe that's a big struggle for you this, this year as you're watching the Olympics, but n- nonetheless, I tend to love the Olympics. It's fun. It's exciting. Good, a good kind of jolt of competition and, and patriotism. It's, it's exciting. And one of the most exciting moments that I've seen so far was from a 17-year-old young woman named Lydia Jacoby. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? No? You got to go look it up. Go go write it in your notes and go look this up later, okay? Because it was exciting. She is from a small town called Seward, Alaska. Anybody been to Seward? Probably not. Maybe you have. It's a small town. Here's the thing. She's an Olympic swimmer, 17-year-old Olympic swimmer. Her town is so small that they actually don't have an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And I actually read, I could be wrong, I believe that I read there was only one Olympic-sized swimming pool in the state of Alaska. She was the first Olympic swimmer from the state of Alaska in this very small town. None of us have even heard of, 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 of Seward, Alaska. And, and before the Olympics, none of us had even heard of, of Lydia Jacoby. And barely anybody swims because it makes sense, because it's like a frozen tundra there in Alaska, so I've heard. And so what, what's amazing is this, this young lady, she gets to the Olympics, and no one expects her to medal. Nobody expects the bronze. Nobody expects the silver. There was just very little expectation. She's just, she's just happy to be there. And so ultimately, you know, she wins the gold. Spoiler alert. She, she wins the gold. Nobody expected her to medal. So what's interesting, though, is it it was awesome watching her win it. But you know what's even better watching is a side-by-side shot that NBC gave after she won the race. It was somebody had been videotaping the local gymnasium in Seward, Alaska, where the few hundred people came to the came into the gym, and they're all chilling, and, and they're, they're there to watch their town star. This little town, you can imagine how small it is, and they're like, they, they've got this giant star who's at the Olympics now, and she's like, you know, the hero of this town, and, and they're watching the race with zero expectations. Again, she wasn't expected to medal. 
And so it's, it's, a, it's a 100 meter breaststroke that's down and back. It's not, very, it's not a long race, okay? So it happens in, in, in the blink of an eye. And so, you know, this, this, everyone's kind of on their feet, just kind of watching, you know, everyone's standing up because, oh, it's their time, it's our girl, come on, everybody, everybody watch, everybody turn to the screen. So, so they're watching, you know, the race starts, and she's kind of lagging behind and, you know, doing what's expected, but they're still proud of her because she's the town hero. And all of a sudden, she makes that, that first turn, the only turn, really. And all of a sudden, she's, like, catching up. And all of a sudden, you start to see everybody in that room they start, I mean, those who are not sitting, they're, they're, they're like rising to their feet. And they're like, go, go, go. She, she has a chance to meddle. And all of a sudden you see like teenage boys, like you, you, you get the teenage group over here, you get the guys. And, and most of the time I was the same way, but you're kind, of, you're kind of a little too cool for school. So I was that way. Maybe y'all aren't that way. I was that way. Okay. But these teenage guys, they started getting up on their chairs and like started cheering and laughing and like, like, go, go, come on, come on. And I mean, like this whole room starts to go nuts because all of a sudden she's bronze. Then all of a sudden she's, she's, she's silver. And then all of a sudden she touches the wall at the very last second and she wins gold. And this small town erupts. It's amazing. And you got to think like at that point in that small town, that was the most exciting moment that they'd seen in a long time. It certainly was the most exciting point, maybe, in Seward, Alaska's history. Because you know, right now, they've already got a sign put up in Seward, Alaska, home of 100-meter breaststroke 2021 Olympic hero Lydia Jacoby. It was awesome. There's nothing quite like sports that can do that for people, right? It just kind of get us to jump up and, and cheer and, and to just give it our all. I've been there. I've been times where my, where my team gets me so excited that I'm screaming and jumping with my kids, like, ah, Braves want to walk off. And times I'm sitting with Cameron after the Super Bowl and the Falcons blew their 28-3 lead, and I just feel deflated. There's something that does that. But dear friends, as exciting as this moment was for the people in Seward, Alaska, there, there is something far greater, worthy of our praise, worthy of our excitement, not just worthy of our intellectual acknowledgement, something far greater that's, that's worthy of our praise, worthy of rejoicing, worthy of shouting, worthy of dancing, worthy of, of standing on our chairs and screaming, worthy of something that will wake us up from our smugness and our arrogance and our self-dependence and our, and our, and our self-exaltation. And that is this, and this is my, my, main, my main point this morning. There is nothing better than to both be known by and know God. My main point this morning, I'm going to say it again. I know it's so weirdly worded. I should have got together with Mo on this one to see how I could word this better, but I'm, I'm not a wordsmith. I just sell chicken for a living, so bear with me. But my main point is this. There is nothing better than to both be known by and know God. 
So if you've got your Bibles, hopefully you've already made your way to to Luke chapter 10. Please follow along as I read in verses 17 through 24. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nonetheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Well, if you remember, uh, you know, we, we see in, in verse 17, the 72 returned. They're returning from something. What are they returning from? Well, if you remember at the beginning of, uh, of Luke chapter 10, there's a point in which the Lord Jesus Christ, he appoints 72 individuals, sends them out in groups of two to go proclaim the gospel. This message that we talked about last week of peace, the peace that God offers, true peace with God, whom we deserve his wrath. We deserve to be punished for our sin. We deserve eternity in hell. We deserve the full weight and wrath of God. But God in his mercy, he comes offering peace. We are to be people who go out as his ambassadors, representing the king to bring a message of peace. God is offering peace. But all those who would reject that message, who who reject God's offer of peace, who reject God himself, who do not submit to him, who do not want to worship him, who, who do not love him, who do not see him as Lord and Savior, but they remain just self-sufficient and self-glorifying, they will receive the judgment and wrath of God. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ, he sent these 72 people out before him to proclaim this message of the kingdom, both a message of peace and a message of judgment. And so, they go out, and we find find them here in a... In verse 17, returning. So with that, point one this morning is this. We can rejoice because we are known by God. I I want us to talk about that this morning. We can rejoice because we are known by God. Jesus is, I believe, going to point them to that. He doesn't say that. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit. First, we find them returning. But they didn't just return, did they? What did they return with? What's your Bible say? They returned with joy. They didn't just come back. They didn't come back, you know, just overly tired. They didn't come back upset or burnt out. You know, they didn't come back, you know, oh, that wasn't fun. I need to go join a new church down the street because this isn't meeting my expectations, yada, yada. They came back joyful. They came back joyful. And why? They came back joyful 
Because they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They went out, and again, remember the past few weeks, the Lord had given them special authority to heal and to cast out demons and to proclaim this message. So they go out and they proclaim the message, and they actually do cast out demons. It's amazing. Do you notice this, however, church? This, this through, through Luke, the first nine chapters, and really the first ten chapters, how prevalent like demon possession is and demonic activity is? Like, it was extremely, ex- extremely uh, prevalent in this time. Like, we, we don't go out and cast out demons. We, we don't go around walking around seeing that person's cast, you know, that, that person's demon-possessed, that person's demon-possessed, that person's demon-possessed. It was very common in, this, in, in the ministry of the, the, the apostles and the disciples at this time during, uh, in this concentrated area that there was a lot of demon possession and demonic activity, so much that like the Lord is sending out his disciples to cast out demons quite often. And they, and they experience moments of being able to do this. And so they go out, experiencing person after person who is possessed by a demon. And you know what? Their whole lives, they've seen this and they haven't been able to do anything about it. They've seen the destruction. They've seen the damage. We've, we've already seen uh, story after story of, of, of demons that have taken physical tolls and, on people and, and spiritual, obviously spiritual tolls on people. Just, just the, the carnage that, that these demons are producing in, in the lives of individuals, in the lives of, of communities and things of that nature. But here, finally, as the Lord sends these 72 out, they're like, we're casting demons out. These demons are listening to us. Like, this man was demon-possessed, and I, I told the demon to flee, and he, and he fled. This is amazing. They're seeing it right in the moment. This supernatural ministry. But that isn't exactly what they were rejoicing in. I mean, it was. But listen, here's what they're really rejoicing in. Lord, the demons are subject to us in your name. It wasn't, it wasn't about them. They, 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 unlike the, 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 uh, the apostles uh, earlier in Luke chapter 9 who, who started touting all the stuff they did, here are these 72, they say, Lord, these demons are subject to us in your name, in your name. You're, you're, you're getting the glory here. You're getting the honor. They're, they're not subject to our name or our power. These demons are subject to you. They're bowing to you. They're, like you've given us your authority to go out, and they're subject to you. Lord Jesus. And that's a great place to be, church. Isn't it? It's it's a great place to be in ministry. Knowing that it is the Lord Jesus Christ that works. Not you. And not me. When I think about the times of, of ministry, 
that are the most fulfilling, the times that are the most joyful, the times that are the most exciting, the times that I don't feel burnt out. It is is those times when I know that it is the Lord Jesus Christ working and not me. When he is doing what only he can do in spite of me, when he is actually working through other people other than me, and I see him working, those are the times when, when, when I know and I treasure that, 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 that ministry is, is the most joyful. But, but, but the times in ministry that are the least fulfilling, the times in ministry that are the least joyful, the times in ministry that are the most taxing, are the times when I'm making ministry about me. When I'm making it about my gifts, my talents, my glory. Morning, Brad. About me, my preferences, me, 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 me. These 72 returned with joy because they knew that it wasn't them working. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about them. Friends, ministry is not about you. This church doesn't exist for, to, to meet every one of your expectations. It just doesn't. We're called to serve, and we're, we're called to serve by the power of the Spirit, and we're supposed to, we're just called to be His willing vessels that we watch Jesus work. We don't need more impressive preachers. We don't need more impressive worship teams. We don't need a more impressive building. We, we just need to be willing and, and watch Jesus Christ work and do what only he can do. That's what he's called us to do. We're just called to be faithful. May, may, we, may we see these 72 here that are rejoicing with real joy at the work of Jesus Christ, at the glory of Christ, at the power of Christ, at the authority of Christ, at the supernatural work of Christ in this moment. And, and may, may, we, may we catch that same fire. May, may, we, may we find the same joy that they found in serving in a way that only Jesus Christ gets the glory. Amen. But as they're rejoicing in this, and this is a good thing. It's a good thing to rejoice in this. Families that, that once had a demon-possessed child no longer had a demon-possessed child. Towns that had a man ravaging the town because he was demon-possessed no longer had a town that had a man who was ravaging the town who was even possessed. These are good things. These aren't bad things. But Jesus kind of turns their eyes to, to a greater spiritual reality here. It's easy for our eyes just to be focused on the physical, isn't it? Just kind of what's in, in front of us. Jesus sees all things. Jesus sees the greater picture. Jesus doesn't just see the physical. Jesus sees the greater spiritual war going on here, the greater spiritual realities. He sees, he sees it all, and, and, and he knows it all. And, and, and Jesus says, as, as he said to them, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. He gives us a picture here of I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This saw, it's, it's at the imperfect. He said, I, I basically, I was seeing. And, and, and really what he's, he's, he's pointing to here is 
he was seeing Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's, that's what, he's, what he's getting at. You're like, well, what does, what does that mean? It is, a, it is a weird phrase. It is a difficult phrase. But, but I believe we, we must understand a little bit more about Satan and Satan's kingdom and the spiritual war. And so, when we go to Ephesians chapter 6, we read this, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then he goes on, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, we, we are so focused oftentimes on the physical and everything that we can see. And church, we must realize this. There is a real, very, very real spiritual war going on in our midst. You're like, oh man, Brian, you, you, sound, you sound crazy. You sound like a psycho. You, you, you actually don't really believe that, do you? You don't really believe there's invisible wars and there's spirits and there's demons. I mean, surely this is just a good story. No, dear friends. God in his word, he's multiple times, and we're going to keep going through it. This is a real war with real casualties. It's real. And these disciples just see the physical aspects of what's happening here and the casting out of demons. And Jesus is pointing to this greater reality of Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Because we, we know this in 1 John 5, 19. He says, we know that we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world system, the system of, of sin and rebellion towards God, self-sufficiency, self-exaltation, rebellion towards God. It is in the power of Satan. Satan is its king. We notice the, the Bible tells us, and I believe it, every word of it. And so as, and it, it started really in the garden as Satan tried to, you know, as Satan tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God, and they did. And ever, ever since, we've seen darkness on the earth, We've seen man desiring to follow, be like Satan and follow Satan rather than follow the Lord and worship the Lord. That's what we've seen. And in this moment, as Jesus knows what's happening, as these demons are, are, are fleeing by the authority of Jesus, Jesus is like, I'm seeing Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Lightning from heaven. It's interesting. John MacArthur, uh, uh, he, he kind of says it like this, that 
when you think of lightning, you see kind of lightning, it's not just a one-time thing, but it's a multi-aspect thing. And, and, and as, as, as these disciples were going out and, and by the authority of Jesus and casting out demons, he's seeing one after another, Satan falling like lightning from heaven. And, and what I believe it's pointing at is this, that the kingdom of Satan was just taking one blow after another as the authority of Jesus was going and piercing the darkness. Satan was crumbling. He was getting his tail whooped in a fight. He was falling like lightning from heaven. As we think about this dark kingdom, this evil kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, this, this invisible war, we, we got to recognize this, church, that every instance in our society of sin, every instance of abortion, of racism, of homosexuality, transgenderism, of murder, of greed, of lust, of pride, of unforgiveness, all of it is a result of this spiritual war. All of it. And we think, we need to make more laws we need the right politicians. We need the right school system. We, we need the right podcast. Or we need the right demeanor. Or we No, friends, we need the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to, to bring to the world. We're, we're, we're meant to bring this message to the world. A call to submit to the king. A call to love the king. Call to honor the king, to worship the king. That's our call. And like the disciples, as they went out, proclaimed that message, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus sees the spiritual war that we don't exactly see. And Jesus is like, this is the key to victory. And we know the ultimate victory came at the cross, don't we? We know that. That, that. that at the cross, Christ came and, as, as, you know, through the demonic forces, Jesus was put on that cross, but by the sovereign hand of God, Jesus was put on that cross. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. He came and, and, he, and he suffered and he bled and died. He was put in the grave and on the third day, dear friends, he rose again, defeating death once and for all. And, and, and Satan's kingdom there took a death blow. You think of, but you're like, well, Satan's kingdom is still around, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it is. It is. But it's kind of like if you're a husband, if you're a dad, you're kind of, you're kind of used to killing ants. And do you ever kill an ant, but you kind of miss? You know what I mean? You, like, you, like you, you go and you smack the ant, and like you just break like three of its legs, and so he's, he's just kind of crawling around on the, on the left side of his legs, and he's just kind of like, he's, I mean, he's kind of still moving, and like if you put him in your hand, he'd still bite you. It's kind of like Satan's kingdom right now. It's, it's, it's like this little ant, this little three-legged ant that, that, that can still hurt you. It can still move. It's not quite dead yet, but there will be a day, friends, when Christ comes, and he will judge Satan. And all those who follow Satan, all those who rebel against God, he will throw Satan into the pit of hell for all of eternity, and there will be no more Satan, no more kingdom, period. Amen. 
We await that day. In this moment, Jesus, though, he is building his kingdom. He is. He's building his kingdom by stomping all over the kingdom of Satan. The reality is, for each of us, there was a point in which we all followed this kingdom. We were all a part of this kingdom. We were all a part of the kingdom of darkness. We see this in in Ephesians 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was all of us. If you are in Christ Jesus, that is you no more. If you are not in Christ Jesus, if you are not a Christian, that is you. You're thinking, I'm not that bad of a guy. You're, you're equating me with the kingdom of Satan? That's a little extreme, but I'm not. God is. It's extreme, Brian. You're speaking in hyperbole. You're like one of those wacko preachers up there, man. You're, you're talking about demons. You're talking about possession. And, and, you're, and you're saying that I love Satan. Yes, I am. If you, if, if you have, have not trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, if, you've not, if you have not uh, repented of your sin and trusted in Him alone for salvation, then right now, in this very moment, you are walking contrary to God, following the prince of the power of the air, following Satan, worshiping yourself, and rebelling against God. You stand as an enemy of God. But friends, if that is you this morning, as, as, Ephesians, as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 goes on to say, Jesus offers grace and salvation through the cross. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay as an enemy of God. Trust in Christ today. Repent of your sins. Trust in Him. Trust in His grace alone for salvation. And you will be a part of His kingdom. Amen. But even as these disciples, they're, they're going out in the uh, authority of Jesus and they're seeing Satan's kingdom lose battle after battle by the authority that Jesus has given them. They're excited. They're pumped. They're seeing real results right in front of them. Jesus gives them something greater to rejoice in. Like, what could be greater than that? You know, you, you ever think, like, do, do, do you ever, I'm just talking to Community Bible Church here, do, do you ever just kind of wish that, like, a lot more supernatural stuff would just happen within our church? Like, you know, like, like, you, like you, you know, we'd bring in somebody on a wheelchair, and then all of a sudden they'd get up and walk. That would be real cause for rejoicing. You know, someone's, someone's really, really sick down here in the front. We pray. And, I mean, like, we just, we want to see all this stuff all the more. We, we want to see some exciting things happen. But those would be exciting things. We, I, we like, and I know there's time, parts of the world that this happens. The Lord works in these ways. Amen? But, Jesus, Jesus here, in, in verse 20, He says this, don't rejoice, do not rejoice in this, and he's not saying don't rejoice in it, not really, he's actually, it's it's more of kind of getting it, 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 don't just rejoice in this, 
Or he's saying, I've got something for you to rejoice in more than just the facts that the spirits are subject to you. And he says this, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's something greater than, than, than what you're seeing here. And it's the fact, this, it's, it's this fact, that your names are written in heaven. And I believe Jesus is pointing them to this greater reality that I want to I want to sit sit in just a moment. And this and that's this that they are known by God. They are known by God. That God knows them intimately. And when this Jesus speaks of their their name being written in heaven, I, be, I believe it's referring to something specific. Their, their, their names are written in this book. And if, if you study the Bible, you'll know there's, it speaks quite a bit, actually, of this book written by God. The book of, well, let's talk about it. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we, we, we read this. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as uh, has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people... Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. So we got this great eschatological picture here in Daniel chapter 12. I believe that it's speaking of Christ's second coming at this point where we see two groups of people. We see those who, who rise to everlasting life and those who rise to everlasting shame and contempt. Okay? Those who rise to everlasting life those are those whose name are written in this book spoken of in Daniel chapter 12. There's a book. Okay, and in the book, everybody whose name is written in that book. Everlasting life. Everybody's name who's written in the book. It'll shine like the, they'll shine like the brightness of the heavens. Like stars forever and ever. But your name's got to be written in the book. You see that? You reading the same thing I'm reading? Name's got to be written in the book. And if you, your name's not written in the book, you're not found. You're not on the RSVP list here, friends. Shame and contempt forever and ever and ever. Psalm 69 kind of points to this. Uh, Psalm 69, 27 through 28. Psalm of David, writing about his enemies. He says, charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. We see this book spoken of again. It's, it's, it's a book. Uh, David here equates the book with salvation. Speaking of the book, it's, it's salvation. It's a, it's a book of life. It's a book that describes the righteous. We see that. The book. Everlasting life. Righteousness, salvation. Philippians 4, 1 through 3 speaks of this. And we get the New Testament. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love 
and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintik to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Other Christian ministers of the gospel who are serving alongside of Paul, Paul says his, 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 his description of these servants of, of the gospel are this, their names are written in the book of life. Okay? Finally, in my, in my favorite, and it's not even, why don't I scratch on the surface? You guys want to go do a word study when you get home? Go look up the book. But, but here's what I like. This is, this is the point that I, I'm, I'm climaxing to here, is this, Revelation 3, 4 through 6. John writes this in Revelation uh, as, as Jesus is revealing this to him. He says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, ever. But will acknowledge that name before my Father and the angels. Think about that, friends. Think about that for one moment. Jesus says this, if your name is written in that book of life, I'm going to acknowledge that person before the Father. The Holy Father, the all-powerful God, in whom there is no sin. The one who deserves and will judge the world. The one whose presence we have no right to stand at all. And Jesus says this, if your name is written in that book, I'm going to acknowledge you before God. We're going to have a conversation about you. We're going to say, Father, Brian's name was written in the book. You know why? Because my blood paid for him. That's what it means for your name to be written in the book. That you were known by God. Who wrote your name there? Who wrote it? Whose book is it? It's God's book. Ephesians 1, we, we see this, that those God called before the foundations of the earth to be his children, to be justified before him, 
Individuals whose names are in this book are in the book because God chose to put them there. It's God's choice. It's God's sovereign choice. It's God's electing purpose all for his glory. And if you're in there, you can rejoice, dear friends, because you were known by God. That is simply some incredible news, church. Incredible news. And for your name to be written in this book, for your name to be written in heaven, as Jesus is saying here, is to say you will be known by God for eternity. You can rejoice in the fact that Satan's kingdom has fallen, but rejoice in this, friends, that you are part of God's kingdom, and you will be for all of eternity because you are known by the king. Now, friends, that should move us, and not just move us to a half-hearted amen, not even move us to a full-hearted amen, but it should move us to this. This should should move our decisions in life. This should move our affections in life. This should move every minute of every hour of every single day, the fact that this, we have a glorious eternity ahead of us. An eternity with God in his kingdom forever because he knows us. That should stir our affections, friends, to go. That should should stir our affections in such a way that it reorients our whole life around not this earthly temporal kingdom, but around the glorious eternal kingdom of God. Everything. It should reorient your money. It should reorient your time. It should reorient your courage and your passions and your pursuits and your marriage and your children. Everything. This affects everything. It's a motivation to go. Not not, not a motivation to sit here and say why we can't do it, why we shouldn't do it. No, dear friends, this beautiful, glorious reality should cause us to get up out of our seats and go to tell the world that you can be known by God as well, that you can spend eternity in his kingdom as well. And if you are a part of that kingdom and you do know this and you do treasure it, you can't help. You can't help but tell everybody about this. You just can't help it. I may have used this example before. I may have been ones and I can't remember, but I'll say it again. I got back from Yellowstone National Park. Oh my goodness, I loved it. I couldn't, I couldn't stop telling people about it. I couldn't stop showing people a picture of the Yellowstone Grand Canyon. Loved it. It was just like, it felt, it felt life-changing. Strangers, people in the drive-thru, I was holding my drive-thru line. I was like, look at this. It's amazing. I wasn't ashamed. It was just joyful. And, and it wasn't forced or coerced. It was natural. You know why? Because it meant something to me. Dear friends, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to meditate on this. That, that if you are in Christ this morning, your name is written in heaven. Your name is in the book. You've received salvation. You will be with God forever. Let that reality, not just the thought, not just the thought, not just the fact, not the theory, let that reality sink in to your heart this morning. Pray that the Holy Spirit would just awaken your dead heart if that doesn't move you to see the true beauty and riches of that truth this morning. And let it move you. 
Let it move you to walk in obedience. Because, friends, if you are in Christ, you are known by God. Point two, we can rejoice because we are known. Uh, we, point two, we can rejoice because we know God. We're not just known by God. It's not that he that just knows us. But, dear friends, if you are in Christ, you know God. You do. We see this in, in verses 21 through, through 24. In, in this moment, after this, this period of rejoicing uh, from, 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 the, from the disciples, we see this, that Jesus, he rejoices in the Holy Spirit. And what, is, what does he rejoice in? He says this, I thank you, Father, for uh, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So what's Jesus rejoicing in? Jesus is, is rejoicing in God's plan. Jesus is rejoicing in God's will. He's like, Father, I, I am all about your gracious will. I'm all about your gracious plan. And he's rejoicing, and he's rejoicing in the Spirit. And what is the will, though? What is, what is God's plan, though? And God's plan is this. He's, Jesus is saying, you have hidden. You've hidden these things. What things? These spiritual realities, these greater realities, the revelation of, of, of who God is and what God's plan is. And who's he hidden it from? He's hidden it from the wise and the understanding. Most of the time, this, this would have referred to the religious elite who are putting their hope and their faith and trust in their and their own abilities, and their own selves, and their own intellect, and their own religious experience. Maybe today it would look like this, that, that you're putting your stock and your hope in the fact that you came from a Christian family. Maybe you're putting your faith and your hope and stock that you go to the King's Academy, or your homeschool. You're putting your stock in your marriage. You're putting your stock in your church. You're, you're putting your stock in your own religious performance, maybe how much you read your Bible, and you find yourself prideful. You find yourself better than your neighbor. You're constantly thinking, I might not be as good as Jesus, but I'm pretty darn good, better than my neighbor. I'm a pretty good person, and I actually don't need God to change me that much. I just need God to kind of, you know, help me when I'm sick. I, I need God to, you know, help me pass my test. I, I need God, you know, when I'm sad or feeling depressed, to, to just give me a little jolt of happiness. But I actually don't need Christ to change me. I actually don't need Christ to give me a new heart. I mean, because I actually don't follow the prince of the power of the air. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. I like God. God and I are good. That's called pride. It's called arrogance. And we see this attitude in the Pharisees, who were so self-sufficient. They really genuinely thought they were good people. They really did. And their whole life was all about performance. And as Jesus, God in the flesh, comes in, and, and, and he rubs up against their pride and their arrogance and their self-sufficiency, they hate him all the more. And Christ conceals truth from them. By his sovereign hand, God chooses not to reveal his glory to them. Why? Because that is God's will. That's God's will. But you know who it is revealed to? It is revealed to these little children. And Jesus uses the word little children. He's actually not actually really referring to little children. He's really referring to those who are like little children. Those that are eager to learn. Those that are eager to see. Those, those, those that are eager to know Christ. Those that ask questions. 
Those who would actually follow. You know, children, children are very quick to follow, quick to believe. You know, it, it's easy to trick a child. You know, you tell a child there's a monster in the closet, they may believe you for a long time. So don't ever tell a kid there's a monster in the closet because then they never want to sleep in their room again. You know, even if you're just kind of joking, they're going to believe you. But, but children are very quick to trust. And Jesus is saying, are, are, are you, those that would trust Christ, like a child would trust a parent, like a child would trust an adult, quick to trust. I revealed these things to them because it is the Father's will. And then Jesus goes on to say this, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. What things? What things? All things. All authority, all glory, all power, all honor, all those whom the Father had given the Son, individual, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Then he says this, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son. No one truly knows God. No one truly knows, Jesus is saying this, and this, before you get to that second part of the sentence, no one actually knows God. No one's actually seen God. Nobody. There's an intimate knowledge within the Trinity of the God that knows God. But then Jesus says this, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. When we gaze upon Christ, when we meditate upon who Christ is and what Christ has done, do we really in that moment understand that we are gazing upon God? That God has given us his word so that we may actually know God. Do we, do we understand that when we are followers of Christ Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, that it is actually God that lives within us. That we are actually a temple of the Lord. Do we actually understand that? Do we, is that reality? Is that, that's Christianese 101. That, that, that reality doesn't stir me anymore. That reality doesn't move me anymore. But Hebrews... Hebrews 1 says this. He says, it says this, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, for whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What's that mean? That Jesus was God in the flesh. That God stepped out of eternity, stepped into time and flesh, and dwelt among man, and revealed God fully for the first time to man. 
That's why Jesus says this. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You think about he's speaking back to Old Testament prophets and kings and individuals in the Old Testament. You think about some of these stories, and most, most of your, 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 your stories, as you think about like Sunday school stories that you grew up with, you, you, think, you think about Moses parting the Red Sea. Can, can you imagine for a moment? You think that's like the greatest thing in the entire world? Like that, that would just, you, you would just kneel over and die if you saw that happen because of how amazing it was. Like if you walk out to the Gulf of Mexico and all of a sudden, you know, you stand out there and you see it just part and you can walk right through it. And as long as your hands are up, like, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing, consider how amazing it would have been for David, this, this, this small little runt, to, to slay this giant? Can, can you imagine for a moment with me, Noah, as he builds this ark that God told him to build? And actually, in that ark, the world floods and everyone dies except for him and his family and the animals that were on that ark. God did what he was, said he was going to do. Can, can you imagine for a moment walking around Jericho? Silent. Then you shout and the walls crumble down and you overtake the city that God said they would give him. Can you imagine that? These moments of Old Testament glory where God works in these amazing ways, ways that we, if we're honest, we're like, I just, I wish I could see that. Because that would like be the penultimate thing that I would ever see in my entire life. And these disciples likely knew of these stories. But you know what Jesus says here? As awesome as that was, as awesome as the Old Testament was and all of these stories, they were pointing to something greater. They were all pointing to something. They were all pointing back to the promise that we see in Genesis chapter 3, where God says after Adam and Eve sinned that, that God would send one from the seed of the woman to crush the seed of the serpent. This promise of salvation, this, this promise of deliverance, this promise of redemption, the whole thing that the whole Old Testament is about. The Old Testament wasn't about the prophets. The Old Testament was not about the kings. The Old Testament wasn't about the land. And there are aspects of it. The Old Testament points to Jesus. That's the point. That's the point. That's what everyone waited for. That's what godly kings were waiting for. That's what godly prophets were waiting for, was Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the point. And Jesus is sitting here saying, blessed are you. Blessed are what your eyes see because all these people of old, all of them, they were waiting for this moment right here. All of eternity passes waiting for this moment right here. The point where Jesus Christ would come and live and die and on the third day rise again. Bless their eyes that see that. And you know what? All of eternity future points back to this point. 
We said it a few, a few weeks ago as these, these, uh, these, these elders and those who are seated around the throne in, in Revelation, they're all pointing back to the lamb that was slain. All of human history points back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so does all of eternity. Here's the point. That when we know Jesus Christ, we know God. We know God. If you are in Christ, you know God. You're in relationship with God. The creator of the heavens and earth, God. That is who you know. That should stir us. That should stir us. And, and I'll say this. I'll finish here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, then I'll be done. Hebrews 11, 32, I, th- I think kind of gets to this. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of the lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were, they were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not ready, or of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Speaking of Old Testament saints, Old Testament saints who did not see Christ, Old Testament saints who did not see the Messiah, Old Testament saints who did not see God in the flesh, Old Testament saints who did not see Christ buried and resurrected, like you have, and like I have, as we see written in God's word, who did not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, like you and I did, like you and I do. But, but, but do, you, do, do, do you see the faith? Do you really see the faith, the action in their life, in which they actually believed God, that, that led to their suffering, Many died for the sake of God. They went, went, went in prison for the sake of God. Obeyed. They were flogged. All of these things. And Hebrews eleven thirty nine says, "And all these, though committed through their through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect." Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is our call this morning, church. I mean, you think about the faith of these Old Testament saints who didn't see Christ. Look at us who have. And I look at the type of lives that they lived. Lives completely sold out for the purposes of God. Lives that were willing to die for the purpose of God. For the honor of God. For the holiness of God. Amazing, amazing things, but they didn't see Christ. We have seen the penultimate point in history. We have the power of the Spirit living inside of us. Blessed are our eyes who have seen. Blessed are our ears who have heard. Now, church, may these realities, these realities of being known by God, these realities of knowing God, of seeing God work, may they move us, church, May they really move us to go like these disciples went to tell a lost and dying world of our Savior King, Jesus. May we get off our hands. May our hearts be emboldened. May they be given courage to actually, not theoretically, but actually take this gospel to this city church. Do these realities stir your heart? I mean, do they really? If not, may I encourage you? Pray. Really pray that the Lord would stir your heart with these realities, that he would let you know what it really means to be known by God, that he would really let you know what it means to actually know God, because these are the greatest, most life-changing most destiny-changing, most time-changing, and money-changing, and relationship-changing realities in all of the world, church. May we glory in it. Amen?